All right, Matthew 27. The ten apostles have uh, forsaken Jesus. Peter has denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus told him. He knows we are but dust. When we trust in our flesh, we get in trouble. We cannot trust in ourselves. Jesus has been tried by the um, priests and the elders at the house of uh, Caiaphas. This is for his religious uh, trial that had three faces, Annas, Caiaphas, and Sanhedrin. And now Jesus is going to be tried in a civil or political trial by um, a, a three full face also, Pilate, Herod, and back to Pilate. Um, you have to put all the four Gospels to get the full picture, but we'll move along. Luke alone gives us um, Herod's account in Luke 23, 6 through 12. And so here in chapter 27, the first 10 verses, we have the handing over of Jesus to Pilate. Um, the parallel passages, Luke 15, 1, Luke, I'm sorry, Mark 15, 1, Luke 23, 1, and John 18, 28. The religious trial of Jesus follows by the civil trial. It says, when morning came, all the chief priests, the elders, and the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Five, six in the morning. They plotted. They carried out this um, this hateful crime, um, a petition, because um, the Jews had no authority or right to put anybody to death anymore. Um, John tells us that in his gospel very clearly, chapter 18, verse 31. And it's interesting that this was prophesied back in Genesis 49:10 that the scepter would be removed from them when Shiloh would come. Shiloh is Messiah. And that's exactly what took place. Um, now, Pilate didn't want to do anything with Jesus. John again tells us. He gives a lot of commentary. It's the last gospel that's written in John eighteen thirty one. The transfer of Jesus was to Pilate. Notice verse 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him unto Pontius Pilate, the governor. They bound him. Um, he's the governor. He is of Judea, the emperor Tiberius, 26 A.D. to 36. And uh, he recited, as I said this morning, um, the, in, the, in Caesarea, the Mediterranean, the beautiful place there. And uh, when he did come into the city, uh, it was at the Antonius Fortress that uh, was um, hooked onto the temple in the sanctuary courtyard there. And... Um, but he had a bad reputation. The Jews were already against him. He had um, um, brought in eagle standards of Rome. He didn't put them down before he went in. That was idolatry to the Jews. He had robbed the temple treasury to make this new aqueduct. And Philo tells us that the Jews had already threatened to exercise their right to report him to uh, Caesar for his evil deeds, his cruelty, and his murders. He was just a gruesome guy. And so he was hanging on a thread, and he knew that, and this was just one more of those things. Um, the chapter break would probably be better going back to chapter 26, verse 57. Sometimes the chapter breaks are not the best. The majority of them are well, but sometimes they can be moved up one verse, two verses, or a whole section. Um, and it'd probably be a better break back there where... Um, he's taken by Caiaphas and then moves on to the other trial. Um, but originally, the, the Gospels or none of the Bible books have any chapter and verse. They're just written manuscript form, okay? That came lay, way later. 
Now, verse 3 to 10, you have the response of Judas to his betrayal of Jesus. And it seems that Judas repented. And it's amazing how many people are sympathetic to him, especially people who aren't Christians. And they just elaborate how, you know, how could God do this to him and all that. But if you look at the gospel, what's recorded here, the full awareness of his sin is given there in verse 3. Judas recognizes evil. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had um, been condemned, as we said this morning. And so he knew that he, that he had been judged by God. Jesus told him it would be better that you never were born. And Jesus seemed to have... Um, a great love for Judas, giving him so many opportunities to repent if he followed all those checks, but he did not. Um, Judas seems to have repented, but again, this is remorse, um, a regret in verse 3. Uh, he says, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver and the chief priests and to the elders. And so there's a big difference between regret and remorse. Um, that is a uh, you're crying, you're, you're whining, you're, you're, you're feeling sorry because of the consequence, not because of what you did was evil. Godly repentance is a heartfelt grief over the evil done and the consequence to other people's lives. And you turn from that, you confess it. There's a big difference. Second uh, Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 gives you the contrast between the two. Um, and Judas was going to the wrong people again. Verse 4, the words of Judas is guilt. The conscience was bothering him. I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. He knew it all along. Um, again, he went to the wrong people. And their words were, and they said to him, what is that to us? In other words, they just used him as a pawn. They needed to, somebody from the inside. They did that. Once it was done, they just cast him out. And that goes on every level of life, ladies and gentlemen, whether you're in the church or outside the church. Um, people are not trustworthy, okay? If we don't walk with God, we're bad news, okay? Because you still have an old man, an old woman in there, okay? You still have that potential. There is no way for but about it. And if you don't walk in the Spirit, Paul says, you will walk in the flesh. It's only A or B. There's no C. And so... The words of Judas is the guilty conscience was bothering him. Innocent blood, I betrayed it. And he was abandoned here by his partners in crime, as we said this morning. You see to it. Now it's your problem. You deal with it. Doesn't matter to us. The actions of Judas in verse 5, um, the money he received um, had really no real value or worth now at this point. You see, everything behind the line, as you look at it real neat and real rational and, and, and conniving and deceiving, looks like you have a hold of it, looks worth it. But once you cross that line and everything is a reality, it's a whole different animal. Now it's blood and guts. There is no going back to the other side. It is done. And so it's very important that we think through and look down the road on what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say. Very, very important. Um, and again, he, um, it says, then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed in verse 5 there. And the word temple is now. So it's the place where the Holy of Holies is. And he probably um, he went back and spoke those words by the house of Caiaphas and then 
we don't have a time factor or anything, then he goes to the temple and he goes up to that point where the, uh, the steps of the high priest are and he casts it down there. These guys were corrupt people. They were, you know, we've gone through the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the whole temple thing. Jesus turned over the tables. They were merchandising the people of God and allowing people to cut through the temple for some money and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's no different today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, two things that remain the same. God is holy and man is sinful. That never changes. Never. And so, what he sacrificed here was his character. Because even in returning the money, it didn't matter anymore. And sometimes people, they want to make amends and make up. There's nothing you can do. All you can do is ask God for forgiveness and then the person for forgiveness. That's all that can be done. Verse 5, the hopeless... Um, hopelessness in the life of Judas Iscariot uh, is demonstrated there as he went on and he hung himself. This passage is unique of, um, of Matthew. No one else has it. Luke tells us that he fell headlong and burst open uh, in the middle and all his entrails gushed out, as we said this morning in Acts 1.18. Um, and so we get a fuller picture uh, through Acts, through, the, through Luke, and apparently he hung himself somewhere, as we said, some high precipice or something. And either the rope busted or the twig or the beam or whatever it was. And consequently, he, he gushed open. Um, he went to his own place, Acts one twenty five says. He is called a son of perdition. He is prophetic of Ahithophel. Ahithophel points to him in Psalm 41.9. Ahithophel was the, uh, the friend of David, uh, the counselor. Um, and he uh, went to Absalom's side, and when his counsel was not taken, um, Hushai's counsel was taken, he went home, got his house in order, and he hung himself. And that was prophetic of uh, Judas Iscariot, Second Samuel 17.23, which is only found that one time in the Old Testament. One time in the Old Testament, he hanged himself, those two places. Um, so... I don't want to get sidetracked this morning. I mentioned something about suicide. Let me just say it because there's a lot of pastors that speak very, uh, very um, confident um, on Christians who commit suicide that they'll be in heaven. And it's because they believe in eternal security. Calvinists, listen to me. No murder shall ever enter the kingdom of God. Okay? Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your body is a temple of God. And he determines when you take your last breath. Five people are mentioned in suicide. Two of them are here, Hithophel and Judas. There's uh, um, Saul, his armor bearer, and an uh, Israeli king. None of them were in a right relationship to God. I wouldn't want to be in that category at all. I don't give any hope for anybody who takes their life. Okay, And yet many, many pastors speak very confidently and assuredly to people you know what if there's five instances and they don't look good i wouldn't want to just ignore them not at all and so verse 6 through 10 you have the seeming righteousness of the leaders here the hypocrisy of the priests the righteous leaders uh, uh, recovered the money the chief priests uh, took the silver pieces and they had no problem no guilt no nothing judas Iscariot at least has uh I mean, he's tormented. He, he, he knows. He's had it. And um, they didn't care about Judas. They, again, just a pawn. And the clever reasoning of the religious leaders 
is to circumvent the law. They said it's not lawful for us to put this, this money into the treasury because um, they are the price of blood. And so they're pointing back to Deuteronomy 23.18 that they're quoting it in principle. Any evil gain of money in the context is of a, a whore or prostitute putting some of her money in or a homosexual male prostitute. That's the context. But, of course, in principle, it goes to anything that you would do illegal with selling drugs or whatever. God doesn't want you to put that money in there. God's not going to say, oh, look, look how nice he is. He doesn't honor that. Okay? Like the mafia that. Okay, oh, I'll give you some money. God doesn't. He doesn't go for that, okay? So they quote that. Um, the treasury was a place of free will offerings. Um, God doesn't want his offering polluted. Verse 7 through 10, the purchase of the plot of the potter's field here. In verse 7, the religious leaders um, turn their uh, murderous deeds into some social noticeable deed. They want to be seen of men. Remember Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Um, they consulted together. They brought with them the potter's field and they, to bury strangers there. And um, Peter makes mention of this in the day of Pentecost in Acts 1.19. And the deed was recognized by those of the day. It says, therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. So the people looked upon it as good and they see the outward works. But this is what they live for, outward works, prayers in the corners, you know, and Oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like that woman, that tax collector, or the other, that other guy, whatever it may be. And uh, th this is nothing um, new. I mean, every generation, everything you read in the Bible, it happens every generation. Nothing has changed. Modern technology changes, but people remain the same. And inside the church and outside the church, it remains the same. And so the people... Saw it as good, but God says no. God looks on the inside. Remember when he sent Nathan to David? Not the outside. All right? I'm sorry, Samuel. Uh, that does not allow them to escape their guilt, and they were not innocent. In verse 9 and 10, the entire event was prophesied in Scripture, as we said this morning. Um, this was all in fulfillment of spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of a gourd, uh, slave in Exodus, and the value of him was price whom they had of the children of Israel pierced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. We explained it this morning that it's attributed to Jeremiah as the fulfillment. And so some people try to figure it out here and they say, well, you know, it's, a, it's an illusion that Jeremiah um, 18 and 19 uh, but the scripture really is found in Zechariah 11:13, where it says, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that priestly prize that set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So it's very clearly in Zechariah. And I offered the explanation that is not an allusion to Jeremiah, because Jeremiah 18 and 19, he's talking about um, a potter and a field, but it's a whole different context. And he's talking about the Valley of Hinnom, where they worship Molech and, and it's a trash heap of the city. It cannot apply. And the fact that Adam Clark and Lightfoot offer the interesting explanation that, um, as you know, the Jewish Bible is divided in three uh, parts for them, the law, the writings, 
and the prophets. And um, in the first book of the prophets is Jeremiah. And he quotes some authorities that whenever they quoted Jeremiah, any prophet, they attribute to Jeremiah because it's in the prophets. And that's a better explanation than somebody trying to make this this thing fix of Jer fit of Jeremiah in 18 and 19 or the fact that maybe there's a manuscript error. If you start with that manuscript error, then how do you know the rest aren't errors? All right? So you be careful what you say. Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by God, breathed out literally. Okay? Verse Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, the men of old were carried along. What they spoke was not of their own impulse or origin, but as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. You have revelation, expire from God's breath, and the inspiration that guarantees the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God. Those are both essential. Very, very important. And so 11 through 31, you have the trial of Jesus before Pilate. 11 through 14, the initial charges against Jesus are given. The parallel passages in Mark 15, 2 through 5. Luke 23, 2 through 5, and the Gospel of John in chapter 18, 33 through 38. In 11 and 12, notice the governor Pilate examines Jesus, the former charges again before the governors. The governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus said to him, affirmatively, as it is as you say. Jesus didn't deny it. He said, yes, I am. He acknowledged his prophetic uh, office of king. Um, if you examine this chapter uh, four or five times, king, king of the Jews, king, king, king. He's the king of the Jews. Well, Matthew presents him uh, as, as that Messiah that was sent, the one who, over his head, king of the Jews. And that's who he is. The response of Jesus to the charges says, and while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. So he answers Pilate, but all these accusations, see, they're all false. They're all trumped up. In 13 and 14, you have the astonishment of Pilate at the response of Jesus because it's not natural to sit there while you're being accused, especially if you're innocent. Especially if you're innocent. If you're guilty and you just sit there, I can understand it. It happens all the time. Pilate couldn't believe it. Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you in verse 13. And they accuse Jesus of being a revolutionary, perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes, saying he was king. All false, except for the one. He was king. <laughs> but see, they had to go to Rome because that's a rival towards Caesar. Because Caesar's a god, right? And he's king. Isaiah 53, if you read it, it speaks about the lamb going to the slaughter silent. The destruction of his body, the marring of his face, uh, so much that his visage was, he was not recognized as a man. All prophetic. Psalm 22. Uh, we'll see the crucifixion just so detailed. The atmosphere is very tense. Pilate marvels, wonders and admiration exceedingly. And Jesus uh, was also sent to Herod, as we said. And he answered him nothing, and then he was sent back to Pilate in Luke 23, 6 through 12. Um, in 15 through 26, you have the sentencing of Jesus to death by Pilate. Once again, uh, um, I'll just give you the chapters of uh, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 18. You just read the whole thing. That's a good parallel, all the details of, 
that will supplement the picture. Uh, in 15 through 18, the people were given two choices by Pilate. Pilate attempted to avoid trying Jesus. He didn't want to. He was already in hot water. And um, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing um, a prisoner, uh, whoever they wished. But um, this would put Rome in good light to those who uh, were present, Jewish and that, because they want to win them, because that's merciful and stuff like that. Um, and the crowd played part of this because they would get to tell them which one they wanted released. The criminal considered here is, uh, at that time, the notorious prisoner called Barabbas in verse 16, um, uh, son of the father, a notorious, infamous uh, man that um, was recognized of doing evil things, insurrectionists, murder, uh, many things in John 18.40. And Pilate announced the two choices in verse 17. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus called the Christ, the Son of the Father or the Christos, Messiah, the Son of God? That was the choice. Pilate fully understood the motive behind it in verse 18 of the Jews, why they handed Jesus over to him, because they were envious of Jesus. Jesus just always exposed them for their hypocrisy, their evil. He was everything they were not or could not be. And so, not only envy, but they hated him. So, the governor, Pilate, was now given two choices himself, as we said this morning in 19 and 20, regarding Jesus. Pilate first was warned by his wife here in verse um, 19, while his wife was sitting in the judgment seat. His wife sent to him, um, saying, have nothing to do with this uh, just man. Underline that. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Um, at that very time that Pilate is sitting in the, it's, the this judgment seat is, the word is Bema seat, a race platform where he makes judgments and also rewards, if that be the case. It is the same word that is carried over for us, for Christians, when we go before the judgment for believers. It's called the Bema seat of Christ for reward. Um, and here he sends, she sends his message and she told him, uh, have nothing to do with this just man. And so this is God's doing. This was just another check on, on Pilate. Um, I don't care what part of the Bible you look at when God brings judgment. You will see plenty of opportunity that God gives. We want to start with the flood. How about 120 years? Okay. Um, he kept telling the nation through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, and all of them, the judgment was coming. They didn't pay attention. You know what I mean? The northern kingdom. And finally, 722 B.C., Assyria takes them in. Later on, Judah to Babylon, over and over again. And so, um, Pilate's second choice was the pressure of the people, the crowd. Am I going to Pay attention to what I know is right and even now confirmed by my wife. Um, 
bad influence of the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the elders, are moving the people, the crowds. You have the same scenario today in our, our day and age. You have the media pumping up all the people, black against white, rich against poor, and all the other things. The media, the educators, the politicians. When a nation becomes corrupt, it falls apart, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't take that long. It really doesn't. They convinced the people and they chose to release Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. In 21 through 26, the governor Pilate repeats the two choices to the people because he knows Jesus is innocent. But he's in hot water with the Jews. <laughs> he's, in, he's under pressure. And so Pilate believed the people would choose Jesus. He says, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas, verse 21. He probably blew his mind. He's just shocked. Pilate asked for the advice of the people then next. So he just keeps bargaining and, and now it's turned around. They're in control. He's not. That's what happens when you try to cover yourself when you're guilty. You don't think properly. You do dumb things. You make wrong decisions. And so Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. This is not what Pilate was expecting. He knew their motives of the Jews and he knew that he was innocent. And so Pilate made the wrong choice being reluctant to release Jesus. Verse 23, then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. Pilate had already declared the innocence of Jesus. Again, what evil has he done? They wouldn't be dissuaded. You know, what, what people would do individually or not do is one thing. What they will do in a mob mentality or a crowd, it's a whole different thing. We've had plenty of that evidence in uh, the last eight years. If you grew up in the 60s, the 70s, the Watts riots and everything else. Um, people get caught on camera, you know. Um, Reginald Denny, remember that guy just brick right in their face. His mom's looking right in and says, that's not my son, he didn't do it. It's amazing the things people say and do. Amazing. And yet they're telling us that man is good. I'm still looking. I don't know where they're getting their evidence, but um, in verse 24, Pilate, like the religious leaders, uh, attempted to wipe away his guilt, as we pointed out this morning. Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that tumult <laughs> was rising, and he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. He just condemned himself. You see to it. You can't run away from it. 
You can't get involved in things, and whether it be stealing or immorality or whatever, and say, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. It, it, it's a bunch of junk. Everybody gets, here's the problem with today's society. You ready? There's no consequences. Nobody gets busted. Nobody goes to jail. If I was up in Washington, oh, man, would I have a day. I would bring those guys and ask them questions. I said, listen, I'm going to ask you one question. If you don't answer it, I'm going to put you in jail. I'm going to bring you back tomorrow morning. I'm going to ask you the same question. And if you don't, then I'm going to put you in jail. And if it takes nine years, we're going to keep you back in jail and bring you in every morning. They will sing like a bird. I guarantee you. Guarantee you. All right? When you don't have consequences, you destroy all authority. And all authority of our Constitution has been destroyed because there's no consequences. It's just that simple. Pilate caves in, washes his hand, absolves himself. He's still guilty. He wasn't innocent. Um, he handed over Roman justice to the mob. You see to it, again, condemning himself rather than justifying himself. In verse 25, um, the people took full responsibility for their rash decision again. Um, all the people answered and said, the blood, his blood be upon us and on our children. These are heavy words. These are not light words. They had no idea of the destruction that was coming in 70 AD through Titus. The city, the temple, the people. And the apostles um, um, make mention of of in Acts 5.28 when they were taken out of jail by the angel and they're preaching and the, the religious men came and said, didn't we tell you not to preach in the name of Jesus? You're, you're putting this doctrine all over and you're trying to lay his blood on us. No, 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 you said give it to us. It's on us and our children. When we are, are, are blinded in our own obsession and our lust or whatever it may be, we'll say, oh, it don't matter. But then after the fact, then we go, oh man, then it's too late. Then we want to backpedal. We want to say, well, what I really meant, you know, like the politicians. <laughs> Pilate follows through with his decision. It says, then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered them to the soldiers. And the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him and to be crucified. In verse 26, um, Pilate was on trial, as I said this morning. Not Jesus. Every person that hears these words in this passage, in this chapter, they're on trial if they don't know Jesus. They have to make the same decision. You're going to go along with Pilate or not. That will determine where you're going to spend eternity. Very much so. The crime of Pilate was to condemn an innocent man. They released Barabbas. They scourged Jesus to be crucified. The flogging of cat of nine tails, as you know, with leather thongs, real big straps, and there's bone, there's glass, there's lead in them, and they would put 13 stripes across the back, 13 on the left side, 13 on the right side, 39, 39 is mercy, 40 is judgment. So we'll just leave one off and call it mercy. Wow. Amazing. Hardly anybody would live past that. Very few people did. You would just rip open the skin, lungs would be exposed, ligaments, everything else. Isaiah 52 um, uh, speaks very uh, clearly that uh, his visage was so marred in the sons of man. The crucifixion, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, uh, Psalm 22, very, very vivid. 
um, the handling of, uh, handing of Jesus over to the soldiers at the um, Praetorium. Um, there in 27 to 31, the location of the scourging in 27, then the soldiers and the governors took Jesus into the Praetorium. Now, when you look and you read John, there's a lot of times he goes into Pilate, Pilate goes in and out and all that, so you've got to put it all together. But most likely this took place in the presence of the Jews and Pilate. Um, and uh, the Praetorium was the Roman garden where the governor was there residing in Jerusalem at the Antonius Fortress. And the handing over of Jesus, they gathered the whole garrison around him. Um, again, uh, these guys were trained Roman soldiers, uh, very salty, uh, very callous. Uh, they were uh, used to this kind of mockery and treatment. The entire garrison encircled Jesus, about 600 men, one-tenth of a legion. And then the treatment of Jesus was pure mockery in 28 through 31 and 28 the soldiers began to humiliate Jesus. They stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him and a short military cloak. And they mocked, um, claiming loyalty to him, uh, false allegiance, mocking him. And the soldiers ridiculed him in 29 when they had twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and the reed on his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Uh, complete mockery of uh, of God. I mean, if, if they really believed he was God, they wouldn't do that. Not at all. They put the crown on his head, the curse, back in Genesis. Worst of Thanos. Unaware they were crowning him as a redeemer of the fallen world and fallen man. And they placed a reed on his right hand and a scepter on his uh, of a king also, and they bowed the knee, a complete mockery, uh, irreverence and all, and they confessed that false allegiance. Hail, king of the Jews, a mock allegiance, uh, ridiculing him. Um, this is the thing, some of you went to Israel with us, and we went um, underneath the city there where you see on the pavement the, the games they used to play with them. You have to put some water on the stone, and you'll see there where they would have their their day with these men that uh, would be scourged and um, just abused before they were crucified. The soldiers disdained Jesus. They spat on him. They took the reed. They struck him on the head. Uh, uh, spitting is just a, a very disrespectful thing, um, especially in other parts of the world. Little here is bad enough, but other parts is really, I mean, there's nothing you can do worse. Um, they beat him with the rod. They, they hated Jesus. They, he was an enemy of Rome. They're loyal to Rome. The soldiers shamed Jesus when they had mocked him. They took the robe off him and put on his clothes on him and let him um, await to be crucified, which when they crucified him, they would just strip him naked and just put him up there, humiliating them. From 32 to 66, you have the handing over of Jesus now to be crucified. Um, the crucifixion of Jesus, you have the parallel passage again, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Um, the man who bore the cross for Christ is introduced to us at the departure to the cross. Now as they came out, it says, verse 32, the location that they came out of is a praetorium uh, to begin the long procession down the commonly called Via Dolorosa. 
and sometimes say the way of sorrow. Dolor means pain. Dolorosa means painful. It's the way of pain. That's what it means, okay? Um, that comes because of the Catholic Church from the Latin and that. They give you that. Um, the Lord Jesus was too weak to carry his cross. Notice they, they found a man, a Cyrenian here, uh, Simon by name, and um, they compelled him to, um, to bear the cross of Jesus. And um, it's believed to be, that he, to be the father of Alexander and Rufus um, that's mentioned in Mark 15, 21 and Romans 16, 13. We cannot be sure, but it's a possibility. Um, they compelled or forced him to bear the cross of Jesus. In other words, they say, hey, would you like that? They, they picked him out and you're going to carry it, which is... Again, another thing, he's come, he's just coming to the city, he's coming for the feast days, now he's undefiled, now he can't partake of the feast. Well, do you think the Romans care? They don't care. Makes no difference. The thing, the people that are ungodly, people that have no sense of ethics and morals, they become very, very violent, militant, and very vulgar in their conduct towards those who have some civility, some ethics, some morals. Um... Amazing. I don't know if you saw the little incident with Whoopi and uh, the judge as she um, had her on her show and just kicked her off and just used profanity and just insult all the way out. It's amazing that we have no civility, no nothing, and they do it in public. Amazing to me. Amazing. Again, no consequences. If it would have been the reverse, oh, poor Judge Janine. They'd have to pump sunlight to her in jail. It's amazing. And so they compel him to um, carry his cross. And in verse 33 to 34, the arrival of the place of crucifixion, notice the location was known by name. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull. Golgotha is outside the Damascus Gate. As you guys were there, we went out there and uh, the garden's right next to it. And um, um, the place of the skull, Calvary. Uh, that's where you get the word in Spanish, uh, Calvario. Uh, Calavera means the skull. It comes from the same root, um, the skull. And it looks just like a skull starting to wear away but you can still see it and there's a bus depot on the bottom and so in the gardens on the left hand side looking forward um, but um, Jesus was crucified outside the city walls we know Hebrews chapter 13 11 through 13 says if you go back to the Levitical law the sin offering was always taken outside the camp Jesus became sin for us the book of Hebrews is very very clear on that and they gave him sour wine mingled with um, gall to drink, a combination used to deaden the, the pain of crucifixion. Uh, yet Jesus, with all his senses, he absorbed all. He rejected it. This was prophetic in Psalm 69, 21. Um, but we tasted it, and, and he would not drink it, so he refused it completely. And he, um, he went through the whole suffering. Verse 35 to 37, you have the procedure of the crucifixion. The soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross uh, in verse 35. They crucified him, and the crucifixion was a practice of the, of the uh, Persians. And the Carthaginians perfected it. 
or they picked it up, and then the Romans perfected it. And man, they had it down to the T. It's the most uh, agonizing way to die. You could actually survive two to three days. It's a very slow death. Um, the animals would pick at your eyes, the birds, stuff like that. Um, you would just ultimately suffocate because you can't lift yourself up anymore to take a breath in. And if you lasted too long, they would come by and break your legs so you can't push up or you can't pull yourself up. They would both nail them to a cross and they would tie them to a cross or to a tree. Different type of crosses, the T-cross with a post on top, what we believe Jesus was, or one without the post. Or they would just have a St. Andrew's cross, an X, and crucify you upside down, which tradition says Peter was. And then you also have that they would just put a, 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 a beam across this way, and they would nail them to a tree. And Peter makes that difference too. Okay, So there was different ways, but very gruesome. And the soldiers gambled for the garments of Jesus in 35 and divided his garments, casting lots. They did not want to tear the garment because it was seamless, John tells us, 19, 23 through 24. Um, the few articles that Jesus wore, or, uh, or anybody who would be crucified, would be shoes, a turban, girdle, inner garment, and outer garment. And they would take everything from him, of course. Um, and they could gamble for these, but um, the, um, uh, the garment was seamless, so they didn't want to tear it. The soldiers were fulfilling prophecy that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. They're um, quoting Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. If you read it completely, it's it's describing crucifixion when crucifixion was never not even known. Listen to um, to one verse. He says in the um, and they gape at me with their mouths like a raging, roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Psalm 22, verse 13 through 15. I, just perfectly describing it when crucifixion was not even known. Amazing. The soldiers guarded the place of execution and sat down. They kept watch over him, verse 36 says, um, to keep family members or anybody else from trying to rescue somebody from the cross. They were sending a clear message to anyone who would dare to mess with Rome or with the execution of those who violated Rome. And crucifixion was always done on traveled roads, well-traveled roads, so everybody could be intimidated and learn the lesson. You do not lift your hand against Rome. Real simple. And so the soldiers displayed the execution and crime of Jesus in verse 37, and they put over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. Luke 23, 38 tells us in John 19, 20. At times it was hung around the criminal's neck or held up by a soldier for all to see. John gives us some important details that reveal uh, Pilate had, um, was paying back really 
the religious leaders for trapping him. In John 19, 21 through 22, he says, Therefore the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Tough. And he was just getting back at them. They set him up. He got him back. That's the flesh, ladies and gentlemen. Vengeance is so sweet as a non-believer. But it's never enough because it satisfies you just when you do it. And then later on it goes away and you start thinking about it. You, want, you got to do something else. It's never ending. Verse 38. The two thieves crucified with Jesus. The um, proximity to Jesus given. Then two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right and the other on the left. Um, this was prophesied also. Uh, numbered with the transgressors in Isaiah 53, 9 and 12. Um, Mark fifteen twenty seven records it, Luke twenty three thirty two, and John eighteen eighteen. Thirty nine to forty you have their blasphemous um, their blasphemies under the wrath of man. Uh, the first three hours that we'll see here in thirty nine to forty four. The people were cynical to Jesus in verse thirty nine, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads like this, looking at just you know, mocking, ridiculing, cynical. And they, this took place from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Again, crucifixion was always on very traveled roads. The people challenged his person, authority and power, saying, You <clears throat> who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Wow. Wow. The chief priests and scribes and elders Mock likewise in verse 41 to 43. The leaders never spoke directly to Jesus, but to each other. Pay attention to the text. Listen. These were the ones that plotted to put Jesus on the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. They're not addressing Jesus, but each other. If he is king of the Jews or of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Verse 41 and 42. Smug, callous, mocking his inability to save himself while declaring to save sinners. That is exactly why Jesus would not, not that he could not. He would not save himself because he was up there paying the price of sin that others may be saved. Amazing. The Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. He is the propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. We have not been redeemed by corrupt things of the traditions of our fathers, silver and gold, but... The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. Mocking his title of king of Israel and demanding proof by coming down from the cross. They mocked his claim of being son of God. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. <laughs> They're speaking in the place of God the Father. And he said, for he said, I am the son of God. I mean, 
he, he's in agony, he's on the cross, and it's just still not enough. The two thieves even join in, and the mockery in verse uh, 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him revile him <clears throat> with the same things. Both revile Jesus at the beginning, and one of them rebuked the other, and now uh, call on Jesus to remember him. When he came to his kingdom, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 39 through 43. And so there you have, you want the gospel in, the, in a nutshell? You want to talk, don't let people talk about the predestination and free will and all that. Listen, just look to the crowds. You have two people equally distant from Jesus, two thieves. They heard the same thing. They had the same opportunity. One accepted, one rejected. End of the argument. One entered heaven. The other one was separated from God. Wow. Real simple. You have Adam and Eve in the garden. God says, if you do this, there's consequence. If you do this, you'll live forever. They chose not to. Then there was consequences, right? Real simple. Real simple. Verse 45 to 56, you have the death of Jesus on the cross. Again, the parallel passages, Mark 15, Luke 23, and uh, John 19. And the judgment of sin under the wrath of God. Now, we saw under the wrath of man the first three hours from 9 to 12, right? Now you have from 12 to 3. The first three hours on the cross, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. So, nine to twelve, the first three. Twelve to three now is the next one. Here's the wrath of God that is manifested. There was darkness over all the land. The condition of the day. This was not natural. Complete darkness. It cannot be explained by natural phenomena. It's supernatural. This was not due to a storm. This was not due to an eclipse. It's Passover. Full moon. Okay? This was God's wrath against sin. Notice in 46 through 49, the ninth hour, the final hour. And about the ninth hour... This is 3 p.m., the final hour on the cross. The words of Jesus from the cross. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus cried out due to the separation of the Father. What took place at the cross is something that we cannot explain, we cannot understand, because there's no way to understand it. But we do get God's revelation of what took place. Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And God the Father poured his wrath on Jesus and judged the sins of the world. And for the first time from all eternity, as Jesus left the throne, emptied himself of his glory and not his deity, and he took on flesh, he was separated from the Father in a way that we do not understand, in a way that we can never explain completely. And so it was the violation and the separation of a holy God becoming sin in our place. And it's just a, an amazing thing. If you go down verse, uh, a couple of verses uh, from Psalm 22, he gives the answer, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He said, because you are holy. And Jesus had just become sin. This is the wrath of God upon the Son. Nature was crying out over the horrible event, which, of course, had great consequences, but there was a heavy price to pay.
Um, Jesus um, became our curse, Galatians 3.13 says. Um, many of the Gnostics used to teach that uh, Jesus, uh, his deity just came upon him in his baptism and left him prior to the death on the cross. So you have just a man dying. Now the Bible says God, man died in our place. The response to the words of Jesus <clears throat> by the spectators in 47 is some of those who stood there when uh, they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Um, the Jews knew the prophecy of Elijah in um, Malachi 4 or 5. He would come before the dreadful day of the Lord. Um, so they think that's what he's doing. Another spectator had mercy in 48. Immediately one of them ran and they took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it to the reed and offered him to drink. This was not to anesthetize him. This is just for his thirst. It's a different mixture. And then the other spectator in 49 the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Sheer mockery. Disdain for Jesus again. In 50 to 54, the final words of Jesus from the cross and the consequences of that. In 50, the words of Jesus were those of victory, not defeat. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He cried out aloud. Loudly, literally, John gives us the word, John 19, 30. You ready for them? It is finished. It's a cry of victory. The work of redemption had been accomplished. He yielded up his spirit, released it. I have both power to lay it down and to pick it up again, he said. Good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Power to raise it up, John 10, 11, and 15, and 18. The very hour the Passover lamb was being slain. Jesus was the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And notice the affirmation that the way to God had been made for all sinners took place in the temple. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The veil was torn top to the bottom, not bottom to top, indicating that no flesh did this no human being and that now God had ripped open the way that was preventing everybody to have access to the holy holy place of God and it was indicative of the flesh of Jesus Christ the veil of his flesh Hebrews 10 19 through 25 tells us wow the fabric was 72 twisted pleats 24 threads each it was 60 feet long 30 feet wide and a hand breadth about that big and 18 inches thick, not, no man could tear that. God tore it. Now, Jew and Gentile have access to God through Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the only name. No one else can be saved apart from him. And then the affirmation of the divine origin, it says, and the earthquake and rocks split. This is not natural phenomena. This is divine activity in this horrible time and victorious end. The confirmation of Jesus being the resurrection of the life follows and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Verse 52, prophetic of Isaiah 26, 19. The verification of Jesus being the resurrection of the life and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. 
after the resurrection of Jesus, not at the time of the cross. The holy city is Jerusalem. The number is many. First Jesus, then those in their own order. The first fruits. Paul picks that up in 1 Corinthians 15 when he deals with the resurrection with the Corinthians. The confession of the Roman guard was about Jesus. And when, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. The combination of all these events had never occurred in any other crucifixion they had witnessed and performed. They understood what was going on here. The illumination, truly, this was the Son of God. Then we get a little portrait here of the women at the cross, the Galilean women, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking from afar off. So not a few, but many. And uh, the followers means those joining as disciples of Jesus, and they came from Galilee following him. Committed women serving as Jesus traveled, different needs. The word ministry ministered is diacono, servant, a waiter on tables. And they were looking as spectators attentively from afar off. They, they, it was just too much for them to be up there. They backed off. They saw it from afar off. The particular women, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee. Magdalene, seven demons had been cast out of her in Mark 16, 8 by Jesus. Mary the mother of James, the less, and Joseph, uh, Mark 15:40, and Salome, the mother of Zebedee's son, James and John, who asked for the right hand and the left hand, sons of thunder, Mark 15:40, and John 19:25. Uh, they're all recorded in different places. 57 to 56, you have the burial of Jesus in the tomb. Um, 57 to 61, the claiming of the body of Jesus, the courageous disciple of Jesus here. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Armathia named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Uh, it's in the evening, uh, before sundown, Passover. Remember, they've got to get him in the grave. The man had much to lose. He's a rich man of Arimathea. His name's Joseph. He's been a secret disciple. John 19.38 tells us uh, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Um, he feared the Jews. He believed in the kingdom coming. And all of a sudden, he becomes courageous. He comes out of a secret chamber. The personal petition for the body. In 58, this man went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded that the body be given to them. Um, and so uh, he and Nicodemus brought all kinds of spices, about 100 pounds of aloes and, and spices to bury the body. John 19, 38 through 40 tells us that. And they followed the custom of the burial when Joseph had taken the body. He wrapped it in clean linen cloth, verse 59. And Joseph donated his tomb for Jesus in, four, in 60. And it laid in the new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock and rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. If you were with us in Jerusalem, the garden tomb is just like this. And most likely it, it's, it's it or it's one very similar, but it's in the same area. And so they both would become ceremonially undefiled. They would not be able to partake of the Passover, these two guys, members of the Sanhedrin. The tomb again was near the crucifixion, John 19.41 tells us. And so... The faithful women, Mary Magdalene, and those were other Mary sitting opposite the tomb in verse uh, 61. 
and then 62 to 66, the guards were set at the tomb. This passage is unique of Matthew. The Sanhedrin members um, petitioned security for the tomb of Jesus here. In 62, they went to Pilate on the next day, which followed the day of preparation. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. The Jews told Pilate about the words of Jesus. They remembered, sir, uh, we remember while he was still alive how the deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Interesting. They believed and understood the words of Jesus more than the apostles. The apostles didn't think he was going to rise. They were all depressed. They thought all hope was lost. The women found out. They went to tell him. They didn't believe him. They actually revealed their false charges here. Because they had accused him of being king of the Jews, Messiah. Yet they believed he was going to rise from the dead. That means they knew he was Messiah. But they rejected him as Messiah. They just let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> Interesting. And then they attempted to command Pilate to secure the tomb in 64. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And so Pilate reproved them, handing over the task to themselves. Pilate said, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Verse 65. The Jews attempted to secure the tomb and 66, so they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the tomb and setting the guard. The guard, they were bribed by the priests. Later on, we'll get in the next chapter, verse 11 through 15, when the body was gone. It would appear that it has to be Roman guards, not temple guards, because Acts twelve nineteen says, but when Herod had searched for him, and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So they were Roman soldiers. If Roman soldiers fell asleep, they just put them to death. So most likely, Pilate did give them some guards. And so, this brings us to um, almost the end of Luke. We have, of Matthew, we have one more chapter has been quite a quite a road great great gospel let me pray father thank you for your grace and your goodness we love you we thank you we thank you for just every person here over the internet and lord just the radio and we pray that you would use it for your glory lord in every way that you would be honored we thank you for just your grace over our life and how you've forgiven us and the hope you've given us in you we thank you, Lord, that you've given us a boldness and courage to be able to share your word and to believe what we share, Lord, and that there's no other way and that there's no other name that can save us and forgive us, Lord. And so, Lord, we just thank you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. He's the only one that can forgive you he's the only one that died for you there's nobody else there's no reincarnation there is no annihilation you don't cease to exist when you die 
you will be instantly present before Jesus Christ if you're a believer or separated from Jesus for all eternity in what is commonly called hell, only to be cast into the lake of fire after the white throne judgment. You may not like it, but every one of us deserve hell. The wages of sin is death. And if you don't accept the death of Christ in your place, for your person, for your sins, then you're telling God, I can handle the judgment of my sin and I think I'll do okay. Really. I wouldn't advise it. I would cast myself upon that rock lest that rock falls upon you and you be crushed. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer of repentance, whether you're here or over the internet. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins, Lord. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.